Chapter Five C of the Sheik. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Sheik by E. M. Hull. Chapter Five C. It was enough for the moment to lie with relaxed muscles, to make no effort of any kind, to feel the soothing rush of the wind against her face, and the swift, easy gallop of the hawk as he carried them on through the night. Then, with a start of recollection, she realized fully whose arm was round her and whose breast her head was resting on. Her heart beat with sudden violence. What was the matter with her? Why did she not shrink from the pressure of his arm and the contact of his warm, strong body? What had happened to her? Quite suddenly she knew. Knew that she loved him. That she had loved him for a long time, even when she thought she hated him and when she had fled from him. She knew now why his face had haunted her in the little oasis at midday. That it was love calling to her subconsciously. All the confusion of mind that had assailed her when they started on the homeward journey, the conflicting thoughts and contrary emotions, were explained. But she knew herself at last, and knew the love that filled her, an overwhelming, passionate love that almost frightened her with its immensity and with the sudden hold it had laid upon her. Love had come to her at last, who had scorned so fiercely. The men who had loved her had not had the power to touch her. She had given love to no one. She had thought that she could not love, that she was devoid of all natural affection, and that she would never know what love meant. But she knew now, a love of such complete surrender that she had never conceived. Her heart was given for all time to the fierce desert man who was so different from all other men whom she had met, a lawless savage who had taken her to satisfy a passing fancy and who had treated her with merciless cruelty. He was a brute, but she loved him, loved him for his very brutality and superb animal strength. And he was an Arab, a man of different race and color, a native. Aubrey would indiscriminately class him as a damned nigger. She did not care. It made no difference. A year ago, a few weeks even, she would have shuddered with repulsion at the bare idea. The thought that a native could even touch her had been revolting. But all that was swept away and was nothing in the face of the love that filled her heart so completely. She did not care if he was an Arab. She did not care what he was. He was the man she loved. She was deliriously, insanely happy. She was lying against his heart, and the clasp of his arm was joy unspeakable. She was utterly content. For the moment, all life narrowed down to the immediate surroundings, and she wished childishly that they could ride so forever through eternity. The night was brilliant, the stars blazed against the inky blackness of the sky, and the light of the full moon was startlingly clear and white. 
the discordant yelling of a pack of hunting jackals came from a little distance breaking the perfect stillness the men were riding in unusual silence though a low exclamation or the subdued jingle of accoutrement was heard occasionally once someone fired at a night creature that bounded out from almost under his horse's feet but the sheik flung a word of savage command over his shoulder and there were no more shots diana stirred slightly moving her head so that she could see his face showing clearly in the bright moonlight which threw some features into high relief and left the rest in dark shadow she looked at him with quickening breath he was peering intently ahead his eyes flashing in the cold light his brows drawn together in the characteristic heavy scowl and the firm chin so near her face was pushed out more doggedly than usual he felt her move and glanced down for a moment she looked straight into his eyes and then with a low inarticulate murmur she hid her face against him he did not speak but he shifted her weight a little drawing her closer into the curve of his arm it was very late when they reached the camp lights flashed up in the big tent and on all sides and they were surrounded by a crowd of excited tribesmen and servants in spite of the hard day's work the hawk started plunging and rearing his invariable habit on stopping which nothing could break and at a word from the sheik two men leapt to his head while he transferred diana to yusuf's outstretched arms she was stiff and giddy and the young man helped her to the door of the tent and then vanished again into the throng of men and horses diana sank wearily on to the divan and covered her face with her hands she was trembling with fatigue and apprehension what would he do to her she asked herself the question over and over again with shaking soundless lips praying for courage nerving herself to meet him at last she heard his voice and looking up saw him standing in the doorway his back was turned and he was giving orders to a number of men who stood near him for she could hear their several voices and shortly afterwards half a dozen small bands of men rode quickly away in different directions for a few moments he stood talking to yusuf and then came in at the sight of him diana shrank back among the soft cushions but he took no notice of her and lighting a cigarette began walking up and down the tent she dared not speak to him the expression on his face was terrible two soft-footed arab servants brought a hastily prepared supper it was a ghastly meal he never spoke or showed in any way that he was conscious of her presence she had had nothing to eat all day but the food nearly choked her and she could hardly swallow it but she forced herself to eat a little it seemed interminable until the servants finally withdrew after bringing two little gold-cased cups of native coffee she gulped it down with difficulty the sheik had resumed his restless pacing smoking cigarette after cigarette in endless succession the monotonous tramp to and fro worked on diana's nerves until she winced each time he passed her and huddled on the divan she watched him continually fascinated fearful he never looked at her 
From time to time he glanced at the watch on his wrist, and each time his face grew blacker. If he would only speak! His silence was worse than anything he could say. What was he going to do? He was capable of doing anything. The suspense was torture. Her hands grew clammy, and she wrenched at the soft open collar of her riding shirt with a feeling of suffocation. Twice Yusuf came to report, and the second time the sheikh came back slowly from the door where he had been speaking to him and stopped in front of Diana, looking at her strangely. She flung out her hands instinctively, shrinking further back among the cushions, her eyes wavering under his. What are you going to do to me? she whispered involuntarily with dry lips he looked at her without answering for a while as if to prolong the torture she was enduring and a cruel look crept into his eyes that depends on what happens to gaston he said at length slowly gaston she repeated stupidly she had forgotten the valet in all that had occurred since the morning she had forgotten his very existence yes gaston he said sternly you do not seem to have thought of what might happen to him she sat up slowly a puzzled look coming into her face what could happen to him she asked wonderingly he dragged back the flap of the tent and pointed out into the darkness over there is the southwest there is an old sheikh whose name is ibrahim omar his tribe and mine have been at feud for generations. Lately, I have learned that he has been venturing nearer than he has ever before dared. He hates me. To capture my personal servant would be more luck than he could have hoped for. He dropped the flap and began walking up and down again. There was a sinister tone in his voice that made Diana suddenly comprehend the little Frenchman's peril. Ahmed ben Hassan was not the man to be easily alarmed on anyone's behalf. That he was anxious about Gaston was apparent, and with her knowledge of him, she understood his anxiety, argued a very real danger. She had heard tales before she left Biskra, and since then she had been living in an Arab camp, and she knew something of the fiendish cruelty and callous indifference to suffering of the Arabs ghastly mental pictures with appalling details crowded now into her mind she shuddered what would they do to him she asked shakily with a look of horror the sheikh paused beside her he looked at her curiously and the cruelty deepened in his eyes shall i tell you what they would do to him he said meaningly with a terrible smile she gave a cry and flung her arms over her head, hiding her face. Oh, do not, do not, she wailed. He jerked the ash from his cigarette. Bah, he said contemptuously. You are squeamish. She felt sick with the realization of what could result to Gaston from her action. She had had no personal feeling with regard to him. On the contrary, she liked him. She had not thought of him, the man, when she had stampeded his horse and left him on foot so far from camp. She had looked upon him only as a jailer, his master's deputy. 
the near presence of this hostile shake explained many things she had not understood gaston's evident desire during their ride not to go beyond a certain distance the special activity that had prevailed of late amongst the sheik's immediate followers and the speed and silence that had been maintained during the headlong gallop across the desert that evening she had known all along the arab's obvious affection for his french servant and it was confirmed now by the anxiety that he did not take the trouble to conceal so unlike his usual complete indifference to suffering or danger she looked at him thoughtfully there were still depths that she had not fathomed in his strange character would she ever arrive at even a distant understanding of his complex nature there was a misty yearning in her eyes as they followed his tall figure up and down the tent his feet made no sound on the thick rugs and he moved with the long graceful stride that always reminded her of the walk of a wild animal her new-found love longed for expression as she watched him if she could only tell him if she had only the right to go to him and in his arms to kiss away the cruel lines from his mouth but she had not she must wait until she was called until he should choose to notice the woman whom he had taken for his pleasure until the baser part of him had need of her again he was an arab and to him a woman was a slave and as a slave she must give everything and ask for nothing and when he did turn to her again the joy she would feel in his embrace would be an agony for the love that was not there his careless kisses would scorch her and the strength of his arms would be a mockery but would he ever turn to her again if anything happened to gaston if what he had suggested became a fact and the servant fell a victim to the blood feud between the two tribes she knew he would be terribly avenged and what would her part be she wondered dully if he would kill her and how if the long brown fingers with their steely strength would choke the life out of her her hands went up to her throat mechanically he stopped near her to light a fresh cigarette and she was trying to summon up courage to speak to him of gaston when the covering of the doorway was flung open and gaston himself stood in the entrance monseigneur he stammered and with his two hands outstretched palm uppermost he made an appealing gesture the sheik's hand shot out and gripped the man's shoulder gaston enfin mon ami he said slowly but there was a ring in his low voice that diana had never heard before for a moment the two men stared at each other and then ahmad ben hassan gave a little laugh of great relief praise be to allah the merciful the compassionate he murmured to his name praise rejoined gaston softly then his eyes roved around the tent towards diana and there was no resentment in them but only anxiety madame is he hesitated but the sheik cut him short madame is quite safe he said dryly and pushed him gently towards the door with a few words in rapid arabic he stood some time after gaston had gone to his own quarters looking out into the night and when he came in 
lingered unusually over closing the flap. Diana stood hesitating. She was worn out, and her long riding boots felt like lead. She was afraid to go and afraid to stay. He seemed purposely ignoring her. The relief of Gaston's return was enormous, but she had still to reckon with him for her attempted flight. That he said no word about it at the moment meant nothing. She knew him too well for that, and there was Silver Star, the finest of all his magnificent horses. She had yet to pay for his death. The strain that she had gone through since the morning was tremendous. She could not bear much more. His silence aggravated her breaking nerves until she felt that her nerves would go. He had moved over to the writing table and was tearing the wrapping off a box of cartridges preparatory to refilling the magazine of his revolver. The little operation seemed to take centuries. She started at each separate click. She gripped her hands and passed her tongue over her dry lips. If he would not speak, she must. She could endure it no longer. I am sorry about Silver Star, she faltered, and even to herself her voice sounded hoarse and strange. He did not answer, but only shrugged his shoulders as he dropped the last cartridge into its place. The gesture and his uncompromising attitude exasperated her. You had better have shot me, she said bitterly. Perhaps you would have been easier replaced. There are plenty of women, but Silver Star was almost unique, he retorted quickly, and she winced at the cold brutality of his tone. A little sad smile curved her lips. Yet you shot your horse to get me back she said in a barely audible voice. He flung round with an oath. You little fool! Do you know so little of me yet? Do you think that I will let anything stand between me and what I want? Do you think that by running away from me you will make me want you less? By Allah, I would have found you if you had got as far as France. What I have, I keep, until I tire of it and I have not tired of you yet. He jerked her to him, staring down at her passionately, and for a moment his face was the face of a devil. How shall I punish you? He felt the shudder. He expected go through her, and laughed as she shrank in his arms and hid her face. He forced her head up with merciless fingers. What do you hate most, my kisses? And with another mocking laugh, he crushed his mouth to hers in a long, suffocating embrace. Then he let her go suddenly, and blind and dizzy, she reeled from him and staggered. He caught her as she swayed and swept her into his arms. Her head fell back against his shoulder, and his face changed at the sight of her quivering features. He carried her into the adjoining room and laid her on the couch, her hands lingering as he drew them from her. For a moment he stood looking down with smoldering eyes on the slight, boyish figure lying on the bed, the ferocity dying out of his face. "'Take care you do not wake the devil in me again, ma belle,' he said somberly. Alone, Diana turned her face into the pillows with a moan of anguish. Back in the desert a few hours ago, under the shining stars, when the truth had first come to her, 
she had thought that she was happy, but she knew now that without his love she would never be happy. She had tasted the bitterness of his loveless kisses, and she knew that a worse bitterness was to come, and she writhed at the thought of what her life with him would be. I love him, I love him, and I want his love more than anything in heaven and earth. End of chapter 5C